Rowan, I had a very exhausting but very delightful weekend that I want to tell you about. I'm intrigued by the word order. Like, exhausting but delightful rather than, like, delightful but exhausting. Oh, no, it was that. It was delightful but exhausting. I'm just saying exhausting now because I'm – I am living in the consequences of my own actions, which is that I just chose – I was having so much fun, I chose not to sleep. Right. And now I have to suffer. Right. The exhaustion is present tense and the delight is past tense. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Airbnb has this fun, very smart – category called castles no it doesn't oh yes oh yes so as i do i'm scrolling on airbnb imagining my life if i got to go to some random cool place and i see there's a castle two and a half hours away from me wow so i send it to the friends that live near me like like, haha how fun would it be within an hour we booked it yeah that's good i spent this past weekend At a castle. Although I will say, castle, in quotations, is a manor. Manor. It was a, because I've been looking at pictures and every time everyone's like, the castle. I'm like, that's great. It was a manor. It's a manor. Like, I fully go like, "Mm -hmm." it's a rectangle, not a square. (laughs) (laughs) It was built in the 1930s. It is a Tudor style manor. But it was so cool. It had all the trappings of, like, 1930s old money building a house. Although, to be fair, if I owned that manor, I would also put it under the category of castles in Airbnb because the kind of person who wants to book a castle will be exceedingly happy there. Like, I get the mm-hmm. marketing. Mm-hmm. It had one kind of turret, so they were able to go, it's a castle. Well, I really liked the photos that you sent, just the brickwork. Oh, how beautiful was that? Yeah, it was so it was yummy. It was it was it, like it felt very brick. There's something about brick that unlike like a gray slate stone, it feels very welcoming while still feeling very austere depending. Mhm. It was nice. You guys looked like cozy little dark academia babes. And you know I made every single person bring an outfit so I could take pictures of them. Yes, the and- whole internet knows. Oh, yes. Except two people didn't. Two of the guys didn't. They were like, mm, we're going to go mountain biking slash doing other things. Uh, my friend Ryan just climbed a tree. Um, <laughs> I do have a picture of him climbing the I tree. We're very proud of him for that. <laughs> but then uh, the rest of us all ran around and, and took dark academia inspired photos. And it was just so much fun. And I got to do everyone's hair and makeup, which is my favorite thing. And we took pictures and ate ate food and sat and I just sat in the little library section of the castle and read like it was heaven that's so nice everyone looked like they were having a really good time it was such a fun weekend but uh the only thing missing was having you there because you and I would have gone bananas climbing up and down all the secret staircases and little hidden they had like a hidden room that was a theater room oh That's so cool. I wish I could have been there. I was dreaming about it actually this weekend. And I, (laughs) I want, did anyone stay up late and just check for ghosts? Because I would have. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Were there ghosts? I don't think so. Because you know me, I would have been like, woo. But the one thing, and and this was more likely my sleep deprived (laughs) brain. um, (laughs) 
I would see things out of the corner of my eye. I'm sorry. Can we back up? If there had been a ghost, he would have gone, ooh. I'm just imagining a ghost popping out. If there had been a ghost, I would have lost my GD mind. I would have been so scared. No, but specifically that cute little ooh. Like a ghost pops out. <laughs> like, ah, I'm very scary. And you're just like, ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> ooh. Ooh. <laughs> you would have been hired. They would have been like, that is a great ghost sound. Please consider scaring people with us. The twist is it turns out that I am the ghost. I love those kinds of stories. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> sorry. So you did encounter spookiness out of the corner of your eye. Out of the corner of my eye. And then uh, as I was like half awake, half asleep the first night, I kept hearing my friends calling to me. Like very clearly my friends' voices. Oh, jerks. And and it wasn't like they were all asleep. Oh, oh, oh wait, that got good. <laughs> yeah i i d- very distinctly knew each of their voices and they were either calling saying like everyone hey everyone like come here everyone hey or it was like hey tracy hey tracy i okay well first of all i would did anyone bring like a haunted child victorian nightgown because i feel like that's the only appropriate sleep garb. i did <laughs> okay good 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 okay so i if i had been there would have had to do like the full like peek your head out the door, and then dash down the hallway, and I would have just been, like, barreled into your room and been like, I heard spooky stuff. (laughs) Oh, first of all, Lisa and Ryan were saints, and they gave me permission to crawl into bed with them (laughs) if I got scared. Um, And then the other thing was I was in my room the first night getting ready for bed, and I was on one side of the room, and my door opens, and all I see is this hand come in. And then the door shuts, and the hand disappears. And so me being me goes, Hello? Nothing. Hello? Nothing. So I open the door, and I'm at the very end of the long hallway. I have what must have been, like, the old master of the house's room. Um, and no one in the hallway. Nuh-uh. No one in the hallway. So I start walking in the hallway, and Lisa and Ryan's room was in, I think, what's, like, a new addition on one end of the hallway. And Ryan just comes out standing there and goes... I guess you didn't hear me. I just went into the wrong room. I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to scare you. (laughs) If Ryan wasn't this, like, nicest person I know in my entire life, I would have throttled him. I was so mad. He scared the crap out of me. I can imagine his sweet little face. I know. He was was like, sorry. I just went into the wrong room. (laughs) He's like, I didn't want to bother you. That's so good. (laughs) It was really cool. It was just a cool house. It was a really fun weekend. So now we're here. I was able to actually do some research. It felt like very dark academia getting to research while sitting in the library of an old manor. I think we had very different experiences with working on research this weekend. We also had very different topics. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Hi, I'm Rowan Hall. (laughs) Hi, I'm Tracy Harrison. And this is Willing and Fabled, the podcast that brings you original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. Every week, we research a topic from history or mythology, then we write an original story to go along with that topic. So if you'd like to support the podcast and join our awesome, creative, possibly occult community like Alexandra N., Abby H., Squish of Squaws, and Zachariah C. did, then you can become a patron at patreon.com slash willingandfable. 
Welcome, everyone, to the Willing and Fable family. Everyone bopped into the Discord, and it felt like a party where a select group of people is arriving fashionably late, but they came with the best snacks. Like, that was kind of the vibe. <laughs> yes. It was like, I, at one point, I, I, I was like, this has to be a glitch. There's no way we're getting all these new friends all at once. And it wasn't a glitch. And it has been wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> you can also support the podcast by listening all the way through to the end of every single episode. It's a weird, super cool metric that we love. And if you do, you will get to hear Tracy and I being absolute goofs at the end. Oh, yes. <laughs> Tyler always leaves a fun little nugget for all of our listeners. There's a special secret blooper <laughs> where we are embarrassed. <laughs> always. Or... You can support this podcast by going to the ocean and making a raft out of supplies you find along the shore and setting sail on the adventure of your life along the waves. But no matter what you do, we appreciate having you here. We are so excited to announce that Greenleaf Geek is sponsoring Willing and Fable again in Season 3. Uh, Y'all know that Tracy and I are both D&D and TTRPG lovers, so it is very cool for us to partner with a company that has <laughs> handmade and curated dice and gear for geeks, because that's us. Rowan and I each have not one, but two sets of original handmade resin dice from Leah, the artist behind Greenleaf Geek. It genuinely always makes me feel so cool and so special to pull out <laughs> those dice <laughs> during our games. Because they're one of a kind. They're so beautiful. Mine are particularly shiny and glittery. And <laughs> I'm the only one that has them. They have unique items in there that are related specifically just to my request. So I've been playing with both my Thea dice and then I also have my stone dice in the same container. <laughs> so sometimes it's whichever one pops out. They're commingled. <laughs> they're commingled. And I also have the Medusa dice in my bag as a backup. I feel like pulling out dice from Greenleaf Geek while I'm playing a home game is so fun because like we just put all our dice on the table and whoever's rolling well we then grab that person's dice mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I feel like people are always grabbing my dice which makes me feel really cool <laughs> <laughs> so if you'd like a set of custom handmade resin dice head over to greenleafgeek.com and don't forget to check out Instagram and Twitter at greenleafgeek for fantastic pictures of Leah's work. And when you shop the site, use the code FABLE. That's F-A-B-L-E for 10% off your order. Some restrictions apply. Before we dive into today's episode, we wanted to address two current events, which may have evolved and look a bit different by the time you're listening to this episode. In the past few days, Florida's House passed the famously titled Don't Say Gay Bill. Texas has continued what NPR calls its, quote, unrelenting assault on trans rights. And Russia has invaded Ukraine. We are a history, not a news podcast. And we are certainly not experts on the politics that surround any of these issues. So we urge you to seek trustworthy sources and stay informed. Rowan and I will be doing the same, and with each source we come across, asking ourselves the same questions we do when we research the podcast. Who is telling the story? Who is the intended audience? And what is the storyteller's goal? 
We've chosen to donate to two charities that are working to protect the vulnerable citizens affected by the devastating news in Ukraine and here in the U.S. We've chosen to donate to the World Central Kitchen, an organization that believes food is a universal human right. They are currently on the ground in Ukraine, providing thousands of meals to those defending their homes, and in Poland to give meals to families fleeing across the border. We are also continuing to donate to the ACLU. The American Civil Liberties Union works to protect, quote, people's right to vote, trans people's right to live freely, abortion care for us all, and more through the courts, legislature, and communities. Links to both organizations will be in our show notes this week. We urge you to do your own research on any organization before you donate or spread social media posts, and we hope you'll join us in trying to stay engaged and stay informed to the best of our abilities. And hopefully, by the time you're hearing this episode, you've only gotten good news. It's all we can hope for. But in the meantime, since this is a history and mythology podcast, I think it's time for us to get into today's topic. (laughs) The story behind how this topic got on the calendar is so basic, yet feels so goofy. And I don't exactly have a handle on why. I feel, okay, you know what? No, I do know why. So we sat down to schedule this season, and we had a couple Mm -hmm. gaps, and we didn't know what to fill them in. And I had kind of put in a couple very, like, serious, not sad, but, you know, heady topics. Yeah. And there was this hole here, and you and I couldn't figure out what to put in it. And then we realized what date it would be coming out. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So it felt pretty, we were just like, oh, okay, leprechauns. Oh, right. (laughs) St. Patrick's Day is a holiday. It is. St. Patrick's Day is a whole other topic. I will let you know now. I will not be really talking about St. Patrick's Day pretty much at all, except in reference to the fact that we use the leprechaun imagery in it. But today is really about the leprechauns themselves. I'm really glad you're covering this because (laughs) I feel like so many people only understand leprechauns as these images that go with St. Patrick's Day, just these pictures that get plastered everywhere and Lucky Charm cereal. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited. Um, It feels like it could be a good time. Please don't destroy that for me. It'll be a good time. It'll be a good time. They are are neutral. So you get to do with them what you will. Okay. According to fables, leprechauns are tiny creatures that typically take the form of an old man in a red or green coat. They're known to be mischievous little fellows who like to make shoes and store their coins in a pot of gold that's hidden at the end of a rainbow. And if you happen to capture a leprechaun, he will give you three wishes provided you let him go. That is always what I thought of when I thought of leprechauns. What about you? Oh, I am 100% thinking of first grade. Were were, were (laughs) we even in the same first grade class? I don't know. I think we were. I was Miss Bardwell. Were Were you Miss Bardwell? You know, it's funny. I was Mrs. Ferris' first grade. Yeah, you weren't in my first grade okay. class. There's no way. We So I was in one of the classrooms that was part of one of those like mobile unit add-ons to the building, which mm. as a first grader, because it was outside the double doors in its own little space, felt really punk rock. Like I was like, mm, yeah. I'm in the yeah. cool space. And shout out to Mrs. Bardwell. She lived not far from me my whole life and was such a good human um she remembered my name for the entirety of my existence she if she runs into me she still knows who i am and who i was in first grade 
like teachers do not get paid enough in America. They are wonderful and deserve more money and respect. Yeah, what? That's an insane superpower. But the point is, for St. Patrick's Day that year, a leprechaun came to our first grade class and left little little glitter everywhere and little mm-hmm. footsteps and a little note and some chocolate gold coins. And when I tell you, I took that and ran. I'm sure I was a menace. I was like, okay, well, if the leprechaun came for St. Patrick's Day, the leprechaun could potentially be here at all times. If I hunt hard enough, I will find this leprechaun. I have a similar story from around the same time. When when I was a kid, Jamie, my twin sister, and I and our neighbor would hunt for leprechauns every St. Patrick's Day. We would make these elaborate traps and uh, we would check on the traps. And if, if we checked on the traps in one room, by the time we came back to another room, we would find that that trap had been sprung. We didn't catch anything. And we'd see footprints in the dirt <laughs> or find chocolate coins or something left behind. And we would lose our minds over this. I mean, it kept us occupied for the full day. So as an adult, really great job to my parents <laughs> on that one and to her parents as well for indulging us and expanding on the magic. Yeah, your mom. I remember your mom being distinctly good at things like that. It reminds me of the Yule Lads and how inevitably some parent is biting a candle, right? Like that's right. that's just <laughs> happening. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, we'd make these insane Rube Goldberg machines that did nothing, but we were so convinced would capture a leprechaun. Oh, my God. Do you want to hear one of the craziest traps I had for catching fairies? Yeah. So I was perpetually on the hunt for catching fairies at my friend's house where they were a little less in fairy culture, I guess, than my <laughs> parents were. Uh, mm-hmm. My friend and I in kindergarten decided we were going to catch a fairy, but the way we were going to do it was – and this was an evil fairy. Like, this was a bad, sneaky fairy that would mess things up and scare us. Okay. So we were going to catch it by putting white paint in water. I came up with this. What on earth? White paint in water, which was going to look like milk, and it would want some. And then the paint was toxic. Our our parents were always like, don't eat that. And then the fairy would eat it and die. <laughs> <laughs> what on earth? It's a good plan. <laughs> we called the fairy the shadow because it was always like side of your eye kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, the fairy was much more clever than my toxic white paint milk. <laughs> well, that's something we'll get into. Leprechauns, which are a type of fae, are also very, very, very clever. Okay. So in keeping with you, this section is titled, Where Do They Come From? <laughs> Where Do They Go? Yeah, that's later. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most leprechauns can be traced back to the 8th century tales of water spirits, which were known as Lucrepan or Luprecon, which means small bodies. These may have gotten their name from the Latin word Luperci and the festival of Lupercalia. According to some scholars, the word leprechaun comes from the ancient Irish Celtic god and cultural hero Lu. Lu was originally the god of sun and light, and he became a great warrior ruler of ancient Ireland. Lu's stature literally diminished over time as the Christianization of Europe gathered pace. Wait, I'm sorry. The thing that the Christians did with this guy was make him Mm -hmm. shorter? Uh Uh-huh. Yep. 
Yes. They're like, no, no, we're not going to go the usual route. We are not going to associate him with Satan. No, no. We're not going to give him goat feet. We're going to just make him short. Further away from heaven. Shorter he is, further from God. (laughs) Oh, gosh. They made him weaker and shorter, and eventually he was transformed into Lou Cromain, meaning stooping Lou. And he now inhabited the underground world of the Shi, where all the other gods were relegated to as the people forgot about traditions and embraced new religions. Lou thus became a sort of fairy craftsman, and from there became a leprechaun, which is the diminutive fairy goblin that we know today. They turned him into a little lad. They turned him into a very little lad. And he was, again, remember, originally, god of sun and light became a great warrior ruler relegated to tiny little cobbler. Short king. We we love a short king. (laughs) (laughs) So leprechauns are famous for being the cobblers of the fairy world. And their name is also associated with it. So as you can tell, we don't really know where the name leprechaun came from because the other theories came from Leith Brogan, meaning shoemaker. And their profession is where they get their iconic pots of gold, which we will touch on later. The earliest known reference to the leprechaun, it appears in the medieval tale known as The Adventures of Fergus, Son of Letty. The text contains an episode in which Fergus, so his name is Fergus Machletti or Fergus, son of Letty. He is the king of Ulster, and he interacts with the earliest known versions of a leprechaun in the story, which are actually kind of water sprites. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So, we're getting to my story early today. I'm going to tell you the story of Fergus, king of Ulster. Okay. <laughs> I, Are you ready to go on this adventure? Yeah, I'm sorry. The the shortening and the water sprite thing really is just, I wasn't ready. I wasn't expecting it. Interesting. Were you expecting that they were just sort of always there? I, it, you know, I knew, I knew that they were more powerful pre-Christianity. I just mm-hmm. didn't know that they were from a specific tall gentleman. Um, potentially, potentially, right. Potentially. I didn't know that that was a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, because of the constant association with rainbows and green and clovers, water spirit mm-hmm. feels just exciting, surprising to me. It's much damper than a, than a clover. <laughs> they're always mischievous. So they're, they're inspired by water spirits. Who go on land, I mean, they're land-based, you'll see the interaction with water in the story, but they've always been very small and mischievous, the way that we see a lot of those types of small fae being. Do you know, because I wonder about this from one depiction to the next, are they supposed to be handsome little gentlemen or scary little gentlemen? Not scary, but they're definitely old men. Okay, We'll get into appearances. I've got some okay, fun okay, facts okay, for okay, okay. <laughs> okay. For now, we are going to focus on Fergus and his experience with the leprechauns and what that means for his life and what's to come after his interactions with them. Fergus, the king of Ulster, had traveled far and wide on his many adventures over the years. He'd 
traversed mountains and rivers, rode through deep valleys and scaled vast cliffs over the water. It was on one of these adventures that he came upon the ocean at the end of a long day of travel. Exhausted from riding all day, he decided to lay down in the sand and rest. The sand was warm from the heat of the day, and the sun peeked shyly through the clouds as they drifted by. And so, Fergus was lulled into sleep by the soft sound of the waves crashing upon the shore and the warmth of the sun on his cheek. He did not know how long he slept on that shore, perhaps only a few minutes, though maybe it was closer to a few hours. What he did know was that suddenly the bitter cold of the water began to wash over him. Icy waves brushed first over his feet, then suddenly across his entire form, dousing him in the frigid sea. Shocked, Fergus woke up to see that he was not alone. Instead, tiny fey creatures surrounded him and were dragging him into the sea while he slept. Enraged and not thinking before he acted, Fergus reached out and snatched one of the small fellows into his hands. The creature was small, only about two feet in height, and it wriggled angrily in Fergus's grasp. But Fergus had the strong hands of a warrior and held fast to the little man, who quickly realized that he had no chance of escape. So, the leprechaun agreed to make a deal with Fergus. In exchange for his freedom, the leprechaun would grant Fergus three wishes. The most important wish that Fergus made was the ability to breathe underwater. This wish, combined with his own stubbornness, would prove to be Fergus's downfall. You see, the leprechaun granted him the ability to breathe underwater, but warned Fergus that it would not work in Loch Rudrag. Fergus, stubborn and headstrong, doubted the truth of this claim and decided to swim in the loch despite the warning. So he boldly jumped headfirst into the frigid and deep waters of the loch, only to find that he could, in fact, still breathe underwater. But what Fergus didn't know was that by giving him the warning not to swim in the loch, the leprechaun was actually trying to protect the king. This loch was the home of a terrifying monster called the Murdress. This creature had a massive mouth and sharp fangs it used to swallow men whole if it so desired. Upon seeing the beast in the water, Fergus froze in shock and horror. He was certain that the beast would kill him right then and there, but it didn't. Instead, it disappeared back down into the inky abyss of the loch. And after a long, terrifying moment, Fergus regained his composure and quickly made his escape. He made his way back to the castle, and upon seeing his men, began to grow confused. They all looked upon him with a mixture of shock, horror, and concern. What Fergus didn't know was that the moment he looked upon the horrible face of the monster, his own face became paralyzed into one of pure terror. This disfigurement would disqualify him from the kingship, but the Ulstermen did not want to depose him, so they banned mirrors from his presence so he would never learn of his deformity. This tactic worked for a time, and Fergus went on to rule Ulster for seven years. 
However, as the years went by, he began to grow crueler and meaner to the people around him. He would yell at and beat servants for the most minor offenses. One day, after whipping a serving girl for some minor offense, the young woman snapped. She turned to him with fury in her eyes and revealed the truth of his face and the fact that it would mean he could not rule as king. Fergus was furious at this revelation. Immediately he declared his need for revenge against the Myrdris, so he rushed back to the lake where he'd last seen the creature and cried out for vengeance. The Myrdris heeded his call and the two engaged in a long and bloody battle. For two days and two nights, the man and monster fought each other until the waters of the loch ran red with blood. Finally, with a shout that came from deep in his soul, Fergus plunged his sword into the Myrdris, killing it for good. But his victory would not be for long. As Fergus crawled his way back to the shore, he could feel the life draining from his own body. As he reached the land, bloodied and beaten, Fergus, too, succumbed to his death. And so it was that two monsters were defeated on that day. There is so much going on there. I know this is an episode about leprechauns, but I, I had to tell this story because I couldn't help but be drawn to the connection I kept seeing between Fergus and the monster. It felt like their fates were intertwined, and he was always meant into, to turn into the sort of monster himself. And what's kind of crazy to me is that the most minor character in the story, the leprechaun, is the one that we all know now today. Okay. 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 Here's the thing. First, I want to go back. Mm -hmm. Our guy, Fergus, getting dragged by leprechauns. They're two feet tall? That's not that small. That's like child-sized. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, it's, I mean, it's not like they fit in the palm of your hand, but it's little. Like, it's pretty little, I'd say. It's two of your forearm, babe. Yeah, it's like a... A gaggle of those? Uh-huh. He, he was not appropriately afraid, is what I'm no, saying. No, 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 no. <laughs> if anything, this guy was an idiot. But, okay, so you get your superpowers. And the superpower grantor goes, hey, you can breathe underwater, except in this one place. And you go, you know what? I've never been able to breathe underwater in my whole life, but I'm going to go to the one place I can't, even though it affects my life in no way. Hey, Rowan, if someone said that you could go anywhere except for one place, where's the one place you'd try to find a way to go? Here's the thing. The leprechaun didn't say he couldn't go there. He just said he couldn't breathe underwater there. So you can go for your jolly little summer vacation. You can go water skiing or whatever you're going to do, my guy. But it's... <clears throat> and then, I, Tracy, I want to be able to swim. Like, I want in my life mm -hmm. to be able to go into a deep, dark lake again and not be terrified. And since we've started this gosh darn podcast... <laughs> nope, there's no way. <laughs> Yeah. I'm glad you picked that story. I'm glad you picked it because I didn't know it. And I think the Mirdris was the good guy in this whole oh, story. Oh, I wanted to make sure that I was like, this thing did nothing wrong. Someone came into its life, got scared by it, and then made a whole thing of it. And it's not like Fergus 
goes on to be a good character in the story. He's described as being really mean to everyone. It's so weird that he can also be the king unless he knows his face is frozen in shock. Like, what? Yeah. I just imagine him as the scream. Yes. <laughs> Permanently <sighs> the scream. All the time. That, yeah, it, I, I just, it blew my, I, I could not figure out what to talk about when it comes to leprechauns for a story because it's, I, I tried Googling famous leprechaun stories. It had searching to see if there's like a really particularly interesting one, but it's pretty standard. It's just, they are little, little fey men. Um, and then I came across a story which not only is so interesting, but is also the first recorded instance of leprechauns in story. Oh. I like it. Yeah. Also, how does your face stay frozen in shock and you still articulate? I have no because idea. Is it just your eyebrows up all the time? But big, big eyes. Or, or like really squinched downwards. Just I don't know. <laughs> Ron and I are just now sitting here making increasingly odd faces trying to figure this out. Good thing this is a podcast. Thank God. <laughs> so let's talk about the classification of leprechauns. Which I have to admit something. Every time I typed or read the word classification, I kept thinking yassification. <laughs> okay. Do you know that trend? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> it has a chokehold on me. Okay. I don't think the leprechauns need to be yassified. They are all about the rainbow in popular culture. Like, they're good to go, babe. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we have yassified them over the years. Yes. <laughs> Legend says... That there are no female leprechauns. Leprechaun? You leprechaun <laughs> <laughs> Oh. So as a way of explaining why there is no record of female leprechauns and therefore no way for leprechauns to procreate in the traditional sense, some sources claim leprechauns are the unwanted children of the fairy community. As a result, leprechauns are described as grouchy, untrusting, and solitary creatures. The leprechaun has officially been classed as a, quote, solitary fairy by the writer and amateur folklorist William Butler Yeats, who was part of the revivalist literary movement greatly influential in, quote, calling attention to the leprechaun in the late 19th century. This classification of leprechauns by Yeats derives from D.R. McAnally in 1888, who derived his in turn from John O'Hanlon in 1870. It's just a line of men going, yeah, that makes sense, and then writing it down, and then also getting credit for it. I love Yates. He's so complicated and often wrong, but every time he appears, I know interesting things are going to happen. <laughs> I want him to spell his name differently, because uh, <laughs> listeners, it'll probably get cleaned up. I couldn't do it. I kept saying Yeats. <laughs> <laughs> But he does come in and he classifies them as a solitary fairy, which I think is true. It's actually the way we see leprechauns today. They're not in these clusters like in the story with Fergus where a bunch of leprechauns were pulling him around. They're individual little fellas doing their own individual little sneaky things. I have to say, if I were a fae that existed because I was a, quote, unwanted child... And all the other fae get to hang around, lolling in the flowers and dancing all the time, and I have to make shoes? I would be <laughs> livid. 
Yeah, I think they have a right to be angry. They're just grumpy. And no ladies. No ladies for the leprechauns. I mean, I don't think that means they can't hang out with ladies. There just aren't lady leprechauns. I imagine that they reproduce via spores or budding. Yeah. Maybe something to do with cobble, cobble, cobbler work. Cobbling. They they cobble together little baby leprechauns. Little baby leprechauns. And then they get made alive. It's like Pinocchio, but for shoes. <laughs> We're losing it. Okay. It is stressed that the leprechaun, though some may call it a fairy, is clearly to be distinguished from the Ishi, or the good people, of the fairy mounds and rats. Additionally, the leprechaun is thought to only engage in pranks on the level of mischief instead of more aggressive forms of pranks or tricks. Mark Cartwright writes for World History that the other possible sources of inspiration for the leprechauns are the terrible monsters, the Lupra Koenig, I could not find a pronunciation for this word, everyone. I'm sorry. I searched high and low. It just kept saying, do you mean leprechaun? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I guess I do. I guess I do. I guess that's what I mean. These creatures appear in the 12th century book of invasions. Then there are the clericon, male spirits seen in wider European folklore who are said to haunt cellars and protect the wine. Living alone and often dressed in fine clothes, the clericans sometimes carry a purse full of silver coins. A clerican is small in size, but large in appetite for his two favorite habits, smoking and drinking. He is said to be rather lazy, but his preferred residence is a well-stocked wine cellar where, even though he will partake himself of its finest vintages, he does at least scare away thieving servants. The clericon shares similarities with the brownie of Scottish Gaelic folklore who lives in barns and does chores at night, although if slighted, he can break things and uh, steal some milk around, so he's he can, he can be kind of a little bit of a dick. I love brownies so much. Mm-hmm. I think about them at least once a week. To have another little man doing that it's so it's so great specifically I, for wine cellars he's a little man in the wine cellar. clericons little man in fancy clothes in a wine cellar i love them i want a wine cellar just for one i love i love the european folklore of little domestic man because it's very complicated with clothing it's always either no clothes or yes clothes or like specifically fancy clothes they're very specific little critters Yes, even we'll see the leprechaun has a very specific original description of its jacket and down to like the buttons. <laughs> it's it's insane. It's so true. I love them. <laughs> so another one of these uh, potential pre-leprechaun fairies are the Far Darig, who's just, okay, get ready for this description. Described as an ugly little fairy with a wrinkled old face. <laughs> Rowan tried making it. A wrinkled old face, and it was very charming. (laughs) (laughs) In some regions of Ireland, he's actually very tall, while um, others he is small. But anywhere he is regarded as being small, he can at least change his size at will. Yeah. So he's very fond of practical jokes, but some of these can be lethal. Um, This is why he might be considered an, an evil leprechaun. The one good trait of a Fardarig is that he can, if he so wishes, release people who become trapped in the Fey world. 
Okay, go with me on this. Always. I imagine this guy who can change his height at will mm-hmm. just goes up to guys who are like, yeah, I'm six foot. And he just makes himself a little bit taller than those guys and somehow makes height come up in conversation and would be like, oh, how tall are you? He's like, oh, I'm 5'9". Mm-hmm. So that the guys whose whole identity is, oh, I'm six foot, have to be like, wait, what? If he's 5'9", and then when the ruler comes out, the little height changer evil guy can mm-hmm. just become 5'9 real fast. Oh, mm-hmm. it's so good. Man, we, oh, every time we talk, <laughs> after I've done research on a story, I'm like, God, I have like eight new fun little story snippet ideas. <laughs> That's such a good one. Just stick him at a college party and have a mess with frat bros. I want to read that story. Imagine. Imagine. Him fighting the patriarchy with his ugly little wrinkled old man face. Right? And just being a little <laughs> bit taller than these guys. Oh, how tall are you? Oh, I'm 5'11". Wh- uh, what? Why? I'm 5'6". I'm You're not 5'11". Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I said 5'6". You did say 5'6", but I was going with you on that. (laughs) Clearly, my identity is not wrapped up in my height, I guess. I don't know. I'm 5'1". Everything's tall to me. Mm. If I could change my height at will, I think I'd store a lot more things higher up in my kitchen. Yeah, I have an entire row of tall kitchen cabinets I don't use. No, you don't. Yeah, I can't reach them. Well, you could put stuff you hate up there, like guilt stuff. I put, I mean, here's a peek behind the curtain. I have like my wine glasses and my martini glasses and stuff up there because I don't drink out of them. You and I are a very different species because I use the champagne glasses in my house for chocolate milk. I use my goblets for all of that. I have (laughs) goblets. I'm going to use those over... Over my martini glasses. <laughs> That's a good move. I like that. <laughs> I need a goblet. It was so funny. We got to the castle this weekend and all of us went, damn it, we forgot our goblets. Because <laughs> all of us individually have goblets. That's awesome. <laughs> all right. Back to leprechauns. The last one I want to talk about is um, the Moros of folklore from Celtic Galicia and Asturias, which are both in Spain. They guard tombs and are associated with hidden treasure. As we'll see, the leprechaun borrowed features from all of these creatures I've mentioned in their rise towards dominance in Irish mythology. And as they quickly grew to become everyone's favorite fairy, or at least the one most people have heard of. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Unless you're us. (laughs) Lastly, according to David Russell McAnally, the leprechaun is the son of an evil spirit and a degenerate fairy and is not wholly good nor wholly evil. Tag yourself. I include that. (laughs) Because it is relatable. So... (laughs) (laughs) Tell your parents that you are the son of an evil spirit and a degenerate fairy and see which one of them chooses which thing. I think they would focus on the fact that I, they, they would ask why I was identifying myself as a son. <laughs> I think they'd be like, I think there's another part of this that we want to talk about first, <laughs> real quick. 
I think my parents might fight over Degenerate Fairy because it's so good. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think my parents would be like, why are you asking that? That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, science. <laughs> I was like, I don't. Shut up. This is weird. <laughs> it's a weird question. Anyway, what do you want to eat? <laughs> <laughs> Shall we talk about the appearance of leprechauns? Yes. They originally had a different appearance depending on where in Ireland they were found. Prior to the 20th century, it was generally held that the leprechaun wore red, not green. As Samuel Lover writes in 1831 that the leprechaun, quote, wears a red square-cut coat richly laced with gold and inexpressible of the same cocked hat, shoes, and buckles. According to Yates, the solitary fairies like the leprechaun wear red jackets, where the trooping fairies wear green. <laughs> Yates coming in with a very firm stance. <laughs> the, the specificity about the color of clothing is really weird to me. Like, what if oh. they change their outfit? Are they not a leprechaun anymore? Like, what if they want to go navy blue? No, not allowed. I think they'll disintegrate. I think they stop existing. You put on navy blue, they're gone. My new secret way to defeat a leprechaun. I'm a monster because when you said the leprechaun originally had a different appearance, I thought that you were going to say that they were originally hotties and all I could imagine was a tiny man at the end of a rainbow being like, I love you most ardently. How is that not some, like, Old Spice commercial or something? Oh, you know there's a romance novel for Kindle on Amazon. You know there is. Oh, yeah. I'll, and I'll read it if you find it. <laughs> Send it my okay, way. Okay, I'll look. <laughs> I mean, there's the leprechaun in American Gods who's... He's swarthy. He's very swarthy. He's a little piratey kind of, you know, little... I love his character. I really, really loved his character. He did a really good job, the actor who played him. I liked that show. I'm so bad it's not on the air anymore. I really struggled with that book. Uh, so I never got super attached to the show. We've talked about this before. We Yeah, we have talked about this before. I, yeah, I, I very much enjoy the show. But let's get more specific about Leprechaun's clothing. <laughs> <laughs> Their jacket has seven rows of buttons with seven buttons to each row. On the western coast of Ireland, it's written that this red jacket is covered by a freeze one, which I had to look up. And that is a coarse woolen plain coat with a nap on each side, uh, similar to what you might see a monk in. That was kind of all the pictures looked like monk's robes a little bit. But in Ulster, the creature wears a cocked hat. And when he's up to anything unusually mischievous, he leaps onto a wall and spins, balancing himself on the point of the hat with his heels in the air. I've seen that. In real life? Yes. I've seen illustrations <laughs> of that. Yes. Yeah, I just thought that was such a fun description. According to D.R. McAnally, in the late 1800s, the universal leprechaun is described as about three feet high and is dressed in a little red jacket or roundabout with red breeches buckled at the knee, gray or black stockings, and a hat cocked in the style of a century ago over a little old withered face. Round his neck is an Elizabethan ruff, and frills of lace are at the wrist. 
On the wild west coast, where the Atlantic winds bring almost constant rains, he dispenses with the rough and frills and wears a frieze overcoat over his pretty red suit, so that unless on the lookout for the cocked hat, quote, ye might pass a leprechaun on the road and never know it's himself that's in it at all, end quote. Oh my goodness me. Uh-huh. So many garments. So many garments. It depends. The Elizabethan ruff thing got me. I had never seen a leprechaun pictured with the frills and lace and Elizabethan ruff. I've definitely seen the West Coast version more often. If you're up to no good, a ruff just is not going to help. It's just going to get in the way. It'll make you feel cool. That's true. So I have a picture here for you that is an image of a leprechaun or a clericon, it's unsure, um, from 1862, the book Fairy Legends and Traditions of the South of Ireland. This is the size I imagine a leprechaun being. He is standing in presumably maybe a garden. There's flowers all around him. And he has his arm through the handle of a pitcher that is about as tall as he is. Mm-hmm. That's less than a foot. Maybe it's a really big pitcher? No, no. This is the <laughs> height that I imagine them being. I know. I used to imagine them that, that size too, but the research kept saying two to three feet. Yeah, I guess. So he's got... You know, he's got, like, the caricature, like, his chin is very long, his nose is very long, his ears are very pointed and also long, and around him there's an extra set of shoes, even though he's clearly wearing some already. I never noticed the extra pair of shoes, you're totally right. You know, Casey wants to change in the middle of lugging this jug around the garden. If he's a clericon, it's probably because he likes to drink. I think leprechauns also kind of like to drink, but the clericon very much do. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I have nothing to prove this, but maybe, very likely, I don't think a leprechaun would turn down a drink. I stand firmly behind that as well. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about leprechauns and gold. They famously hoard a pot of gold, though whether they can even use that gold is up for question. However, some researchers suggest that this gold is used as a means of tricking humans, and given the leprechaun's propensity for trickery, this is entirely possible to me. According to Yates, the great wealth of these fairies comes from the treasure crocs buried of old in wartime, which they have uncovered and appropriated for themselves. Because apparently a cobbler isn't a lucrative enough profession for Yates. I feel like... In a time when you had one or two pairs of shoes, being a cobbler was very lucrative. I don't know, but I would assume. Uh, Yeah, I think they they were doing fine, (laughs) those leprechaun cobblers. (laughs) So should you want to steal gold from a leprechaun, the legends make the answer very clear. Just go to the end of the rainbow. However, the truth of this is that humans need to catch these creatures in order to find their fortune, And it's also impossible to actually locate the end of a rainbow. Many looking for fortune also seek to gain their gold, but beware because these teeny tiny little men are known to be tricksters. They're said to deceive humans and serve as a warning against greed. Some even believe that they hide their gold simply to lure the unsuspecting, and when granting their capture three wishes, they often instead lead them astray. 
Should you manage to capture a leprechaun, you may find yourself in luck. Literally. They're known to grant luck to humans and also grant wishes. They've become associated with the luck of the Irish, which is one of the reasons they remain so popular today. So if you want to find a leprechaun, keep your eyes and more specifically your ears open because they can often be heard tapping their tiny cobbler hammer in the distance, which signals listeners that they're very near. They can also be heard dancing away to traditional Irish music and are even known to play instruments while doing a little jig. Just happy little dancing boys. Have you ever hunted for the end of a rainbow? Oh, as a kid, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, same. Oh, 100%. You never get there. I feel like leprechauns would be the ultimate ally of the treasure hoarding dragon. Yes. Or ultimate enemy. Oh, again, I want a story of that. No, I want them friends. I want a conspiring, really intelligent old dragon and little leprechaun friends. Mm-hmm. You're just, you're just yeeting these amazing ideas out into the world. Excuse me, it's pronounced Yates? <laughs> God damn it. All right, let's bring the mood down. Let's talk about a genetic birth disorder. Okay. It's called Donahue syndrome, although sometimes it's called leprechaunism, and it's an extremely rare disorder characterized by abnormal resistance to insulin. According to Live Science, it is a recessive genetic disorder which occurs when an individual inherits two copies of an abnormal gene for the same trait. Babies with the disorder are unusually small before and after birth, according to the National Institutes of Health. They experience failure to thrive, which means they have low birth weight and do not gain weight at the expected rate. They often lack muscle mass and may also have a very low body fat under the skin. Characteristics of the syndrome include abnormally large, low-set, and poorly developed ears, a wide, flat nose with upturned nostrils, large, thick lips and a large mouth, and widely spaced, bulging eyes. Affected babies may also have an abnormally small head or microcephaly. There may be excessive hair growth. Most affected individuals have a skin condition called Ancanthosis nigricans, which certain patches of skin, such as body folds and creases, become thick, dark, and velvety. Donahue syndrome affects the endocrine system, which regulates the secretion of hormones into the blood system. Abnormalities include excessive secretion of insulin, which regulates blood sugar levels by promoting the movement of glucose into the body's cells. According to Nord, babies with the disorder cannot use insulin effectively and may have high blood sugar levels, or hyperglycemia, after eating, and low blood sugar levels, or hypoglycemia, when not eating. Other hormonal effects include enlargement of breasts and genitals. Other characteristics include intellectual disability, abnormally large hands and feet, an enlarged or distended stomach, enlarged heart, kidneys, and other organs, and hernias, where the large intestine may protrude through the abdominal wall or into the groin. Affected babies are also more susceptible to repeated infections. Donahue syndrome is extremely rare extremely. Only 50 cases have been reported in medical literature. It was first identified in 1948 by Dr. W.L. Donahue, a Canadian pathologist who wrote about it in the Journal of Pediatrics in 1954. In the reported cases, the disorder occurred twice as often in females as in males. 
So many of those side effects sound so difficult to treat. Yes, it seems like it is a very debilitating disorder. Um, and I was shocked at how rare it was. Yeah, that's so few. Mm-hmm. But I had to include it because it's listed as leprechaunism, but that is not the name that people who have this disorder prefer it to be called by, understandably. Right. So I tried to refer to it only as Donahue syndrome, uh, but wanted to note that if you look up information about leprechauns, you will see information about this disorder appear. Interesting. Yeah. So moving on to leprechauns today and leprechauns in pop culture. So we started we started where they came from. Now we're here. Where did they go? Where did they come from, Cotton Eye Joe? <laughs> You're welcome. Where do they come from? Where do they go? Where are the leprechauns, Cotton Eye Joe? Well, let's get into it. Leprechauns are a staple of St. Patrick's Day, um, especially in America. People will dress up as leprechauns and run around drinking. And Rowan, you know I have a lot of thoughts on St. Patrick's Day as a holiday, but that is not what this episode is about, and we will definitely cover it another time. But if you're going to see a grown man dressed as a leprechaun in America, that's the day you're most likely to see it. I will say, my friends in Ireland say, like, St. Patrick's Day in America is like a whole Disney thing compared to what it is in Ireland. Especially on the leprechaun front. I just... Anyway, I can't even I can't even begin. Right. Me and St. Patrick's Day, it's not a day for me. Let's just it's not for me. Even though I am Irish, it to a certain percentage, my grandparents were very steeped in Irish culture. They came over uh, a couple generations before that. Very Irish Catholic, but it's neither here nor there for St. Patrick's for Day. For anyone who's ever worked in a bar in America on St. Patrick's Day. We feel so sorry for you. We're so sorry for you. We hope you got tipped really, really, really well. And also you deserve to have a living wage and not need to get tipped. <laughs> All right. So English professor and Irish culture expert Ninian Mellamphy told the Pepperdine University graphic in 2003 that, quote, for the Irish, it's much more than the leprechauns and green color. The real significance is the culture rich in antiquity and layered with the customs of many different civilizations. Irish memory is very significant, and many Irish plays are centered around this theme, which can be much more interesting than leprechauns, fairy forts, and other mythological folklore people have used to explain the oddness of the relics of Ireland's ancient civilizations. End quote. So, before we jump into the next thing, which I can tell Rowan has spied... I just want to highlight that in America, we think St. Patrick's Day, green, drinking, Irish. In Ireland, they have a much more obviously complex and nuanced experience with this culture than what watered-down version we get here. Oh, yeah. Watered down like the green Guinness. God, I forgot green Guinness is a thing. Ugh. So let's talk about the thing that Rowan's eyes lit up when she saw, which is the tiny leprechaun park. Oh. Before I ask you to describe the two pictures that I have here, I want to read to you a little bit about these. Okay. According to Mental Floss, after noticing a small circular hole in concrete where a light pole was meant to be, a journalist named Dick Fagan took it upon himself to make use of it. After adding flowers and a tiny sign that proclaimed it as the world's smallest park, Fagan began to write stories about the spot in a newspaper column. 
He detailed the adventures of a small leprechaun colony, led by a leader that only the journalist could see. The modest garden, called Mills End Park in Portland, Oregon, became an official city park on St. Patrick's Day in 1976. Over the years, contributors have added miniature additions like a swimming pool complete with a diving board. Rowan, would you like to describe Mills End Park, the tiny leprechaun park? No, I'm not going to cry. You're going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> that absolutely just would have had me in its thrall if I encountered that as a young tyke. I know. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Okay, it's this circular cement structure mm -hmm. up on a pl – it's like a platform upon a platform, and it cannot be higher than, like, one step and a half. Oh, for sure. And it's just a little circle, and on the inside, there's, like, a little bush tree thing, and there's a little sign that says Millen's Park. It's so good. It the sign is so official and, and the picture's small, but it even has like Portland Parks and Recreation. Yes, it looks just like a for real for real park sign. Like it's structured the same. This is not some like toothpick in the ground with words. This is a full on city ordinance yes. sign yes. thing. Very official looking. During certain protests, I think during Occupy Wall Street. There was a bunch of little protest signs in the little park. I remember this. Really? Yes. I love the tiny park. I know. I put that in there specifically for you. <laughs> <laughs> Why are things that are little so good? It's so good. It's just this little park and you can put so many imagination, like all this imagination into it, a little pool, like little chairs. There's... Oh, my – see, it's the same reason I love, like, miniatures, like D&D &D miniatures or, like, miniature dollhouses that people make where they get really, really intricate. There's someone on TikTok named Noelle Bird who does the most gorgeous miniatures. I don't know why I'm not as into miniature culture as you, and yet I'm going nuts for this park. Did you see that story that got really popular in 2020 during the pandemic and it was about – a girl, it might have been a Twitter thread originally, but a girl kind of our age in a neighborhood, she encountered this like young girl and her mom who lived there and the little kid was clearly into fairies. And mm -hmm. bored during the pandemic, this young woman made a little like fairy door in a park on a tree um, just as a way to occupy herself. And then the little girl found it. <gasps> and so the... The woman who wrote about this asked the mom if she could, like, leave notes for the little girl and, like, things mm -hmm. inside of it. And the mom was like, yes, it's a global pandemic. Any please <laughs> do this. Yes. And the girl got the notes and for months she was, like, looking for it and they would put glitter and do all these things. And then one day the woman who made this made a fairy cosplay so she could meet the little girl who was beside herself. That is the most amazing thing. I had not heard about that. And that is the type of person I want to be. Yeah, the young woman, she wrote a note to the little girl like, I can become big for one day so that we can meet. And it was before the little girl had to move away. Oh, my God. And so they met and she was, you know, absolutely a Twitter about it. And th that is the kind of world I want to live in. Yeah. 
Oh, I love... Okay, so you are like, I'm not going to cry over the park. I'm like, I'm not going to cry over this. That's so cute because I know how much I believed in stuff like that as a kid. And to like live in that magic, that's so sweet. Also, to I would be so invested in that equally if I was the young woman or the mom. I'd be so in. Yes. Oh, completely. Like, oh, you need me to put glitter everywhere in the middle of the night? On it. You- On it. What a better middle of the night activity. You need me to leave presents inside the little hidden door? We got this. Like, oh. (laughs) Man, it's tempting to do that for the kids in my neighborhood, but I don't know if any of them would actually care. Right. I feel like like that was a perfect convergence of Mm -hmm. of types of people. Yes. Okay, back to leprechauns. As with many old legends and traditions, the image and nature of the leprechaun has changed over time and has been updated – and in many cases sanitized for a modern audience. Lucky the Leprechaun, mascot of the General Mills breakfast cereal Lucky Charms, is probably the best known of his type. The 1959 Disney movie Darby O'Gill and the Little People also influenced how many people think of the wee folk. Also, VFX Artist Reacts on YouTube has a great video going in over the special effects of Darby O'Gill and the Little People film. There was some really cool practical work going on in 1959 when they made it. Oh. So if you look down, I have a screenshot from that movie of the titular character talking to one of the the, the Leprechaun King. Oh, you can already tell from this image that the practical effects were super good. Mhm. It's a uh, so this photograph there's an older gentleman who is playing the fiddle and he's leaning down and he's got is it called a newsboy cap, I think? Yeah, it's like, it, that's what I would think of it. It's the classic newsy cap. I'm sure there's an official term for it that's not that. There's a name. There's got to be a name. But he's got this this kind of wool sport coat and uh, like a flannel scarf. And he's just leaning into frame. And there's a pot of gold in the middle. And he is looking at this tiny little gentleman with re- like shoulder-length red hair and a beard who's in basically a green tux. With a gold mm-hmm. vest. With a cape. Yeah, and then it's this white fur-lined cape, like the traditional king cape. Mm-hmm. And he has a crown that's gold, but that has, you know, the classic crown that has, like, velvet in the middle, where it would normally be red, it's green. Yes. Um, And they look like they're ab- about to have a really good, positive conversation. Yeah, the scene they go over in VFX Artists React is um, him dancing among all of the leprechauns. And the the way that they had to play with camera angles and all this stuff is so cool to see broken down. That's so cool. Yeah. On the other end of the spectrum from this uh, is the homicidal leprechaun Lubden in the leprechaun horror comedy film series uh, played by Warwick Davis. Yeah, it's it's just a he's a famous horror movie leprechaun. That's just. Okay. (laughs) For generations, some Irish have been annoyed by leprechauns and the ethnic stereotypes they perpetuate. And for most Americans, leprechauns only appear around St. Patrick's Day. And as an American, I can say that I also only see leprechauns around St. Patrick's Day. It's the only time we really acknowledge Irish culture at all. Right. Not you and I, obviously, but America. Right. And then there's that accent that goes along with leprechauns that's just so fake and sing-songy oh yeah i can't i can't i cannot do an irish accent i think i stumble into it when i try to do a scottish accent which i also can't do 
It's like the, oh, what are you doing? The look of the yeah, Irish. That. Like the, oh, we're doing stereotypes of what an Irish accent is. Like just up and down and up and down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very melodic. And it's, you know, it's just a caricature. It's like a caricature of an American Southern accent, you know? Mm-hmm. Or when people do a caricature of an American and they're just like, let's get the red solo cups and go to the party. I mean. Which is true. Uh, for anyone who's not in America, I get, I get this question a lot from my international friends. Yes, we use red solo cups. They're not just in movies. That's just the, it's the cheap cup that you buy to... It's a disposable plastic cup. Yeah, it's just at the store. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they come in other colors. And oh, and and some are clear. Um paper is preferable. Actually, for folks who are international, do you really use the red soul cups? Yes. And in high school at all of my parties, my parents mm-hmm. and I would specifically buy cups, paper plastic cups that were not red. Because when photographs were being taken, because everybody has their phones all the time, there wouldn't be images of us holding red solo cups because there was a lot of rumors going around and stories in the news about how, like, some kid would have a photo of him with a red solo cup. Like, he must have been drinking, and so his college dropped him. Like, they mm-hmm. they rescinded their offer. Or a teacher had a picture on Facebook of them with a red solo cup, and they lost their job. And right. It was back in those days when that was... Uh, uh, either real or rumor that was just everywhere. So we always bought black solo cups at my house. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or clear cups sometimes. Because then you can see it's just Diet Coke, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Rowan, let's say that you want to go exploring for a leprechaun yourself. I do. Okay, well, a good place for you and me, let's be real, I'll be with you, to start would be in Ireland itself at a mountain called Sliav Foye. Again, I tried so hard to find pronunciation for this mountain. Nowhere. So, S-L-I-E-V-E-F-O-Y-E. Oh, please email us. I know there's an answer that is not that. (laughs) It's not that. It's not that. And I know... (laughs) <laughs> I know Irish is another language, so it, it, the way that I read things is not the way that the language is meant to have it pronounced, but I don't have all the rules memorized, so a lot of words trip me up. Oof. But if we go to that mountain, we may be able to find leprechauns because in 1989, a local businessman in Carlingford, Ireland, claimed to have found evidence of a real leprechaun on this mountain. He said that after hearing a scream near the wishing well, he found bones a tiny suit, and gold coins near scorched earth. The evidence is now displayed behind a glass case for visitors to come see. (laughs) As a result, a new tradition was born. During an annual leprechaun hunt, 100 ceramic leprechauns are hidden on the mountain. Tourists come every year to try and hunt down these little green statues. Hunters need to buy a six-euro hunter's license before they go on this adventure. In 2019, the 30th anniversary of the Leprechaun's Bones discovery and the 10th anniversary of their official European Union recognition, fortune seekers abandoned their mountain search and instead scoured the town for hidden leprechaun pots, one of which contained a real bar of gold valued at 1,200 euros. 
How do I get invited? That sounds like the best time. I know. So we need to include this on the Willie and Babel tour that we're going to Ireland and we're going on a leprechaun hunt. Oh my god, I want to run around the woods trying to find little green ceramic leprechauns. Right? It's like, oh, I want it so badly. I will get so, like, into it in the most intense way. Like, I'll be competitive about finding the most of them, but I will also be like, I am a leprechaun hunter. I will dress Mm -hmm. the way I imagine that that person should be dressing. I don't know what that is yet, but there's going to be a cosplay. (laughs) (laughs) I want to go and do this so badly. Oh, my God. Could someone who has gone to this please email us? Please tell us about it. Please, please, please. It's like ultimate geocaching. Yes. It's geocaching meets leprechauns meets Easter egg hunt in the best way. One year at Girl Scout camp, we had to find gold spray painted rocks around the whole camp. And that was absolutely feral. It was full on cops and robbers. Like some people were townspeople and some people were criminals. And I was part of the criminals. And I think some girls got wrecked in the woods. Oh, my God. Like, there were no adults <laughs> everywhere. Oh, my God. It was amazing. You experienced Lord of the Flies. Oh, it was so good. I distinctly remember even being like, I'm in Lord of the Flies. I'm going to survive. I did not oh, yeah. get wrecked, and I didn't get into any physical fights, uh, but I did have a mad dash for a gold rock against another girl, and we scrambled and fell and, and got into the thick of it. Who got it? I think she did. I think she did. I'm not particularly fast. Like, if I wanted to win that fight, I would have had to resort to nastiness, like hair pulling and, like, yeah. kicking, probably. Um, <laughs> yeah, I did not do that that time. I don't. I think my team lost abysmally, but I didn't care. I just wanted to tromp around the woods. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> <laughs> We're going on a leprechaun hunt. I'm going to go on a leprechaun hunt so badly. Apparently, there are 236 leprechauns still alive in the caverns of those mountains today. In 2009, the EU granted heritage status to the remaining fae. They now have their own protected sanctuary nestled in the mountain. The directive also protects the animals and flora in the area to help keep the biodiversity of the land safe. A true win-win. That is such a charming way to protect land and animals. Right? Why can't we have Bigfoot sanctuaries? Like, what? Mothman needs a sanctuary. Let's just keep it up. Yes. America, stop being a coward. (laughs) Mothman sanctuary. America, get on board. Leprechaun sanctuaries. Yes. (sighs) Okay, so now we have to talk about something that I very much remember, which is in America, uh, specifically in Alabama in 2006, an amateur drawing of a leprechaun went viral after someone claimed to see the creature. Do you remember this? No. <laughs> really? <laughs> no. So, I, oh my God. I have a picture here of the famous amateur sketch that someone drew of the leprechaun they claimed to see. How can we go from a leprechaun sanctuary to this? Okay, it's on yellow legal paper, and it's in a very blurry TV graphic that says amateur sketch. Like, it's that kind of graphic, like, live at five. Um, Very much so. And it is exactly the way you would imagine 
like a seven-year-old odd person who's got a good handle on pencils, bad handle on 3D space, drawing a human face that goes up like a square into a hat that kind of closes the head off. <laughs> and and black eyes that are just big scribble just circles. black beady <laughs> eyes. The hint of a nose? Yes. No. And no. there's also kind of like a swirl that I think is supposed to be a buckle on the hat. I think so, too. Okay. So according to Alabama Life, witnesses claim to have seen the mythical creature in the Crichton neighborhood of Mobile, Alabama. Local NBC affiliate WPMI-TV would report the news before the video was posted on YouTube on St. Patrick's Day that year, becoming one of the first truly viral videos in YouTube's young history. Jimmy Kimmel even called it his favorite annual tradition, calling it a St. Patrick's Day miracle. I hate it and I love it. It's just, to me, it's one of those, like, internet classics, like this picture of the leprechaun that someone drew had to include Why it. do I never know about these things? <laughs> <laughs> that was sort of your whole role on One Time on the Internet. Yeah, because I never know about them. It's a gift. You, you have an outside perspective. <laughs> so... Rowan, all in all, leprechauns have made a tremendous cultural impact both in Ireland and around the world due to their connection with the famous luck of the Irish. From horror movie characters to serial mascots to the Notre Dame fighting leprechauns, these creatures have invaded just about every facet of American culture, including luck of the Irish, the Disney Channel original movie I watched many, many, many times growing up that I don't think holds at all. I can honestly say I've never seen it. What? That was one of my favorites. I know. I All I know about it, and you've also conveniently put a picture here, is that there was a kid who changed size a lot, even though he was supposed to be playing basketball. Yeah, he kept, like, turning into a leprechaun because of a spell. I'm not going to lie to you. I haven't watched it since I was a kid, and I specifically didn't read the plot on it to see how much I could remember it. All I remember is that his grandfather invented potato chips. I think his grandfather was a leprechaun. And I think there's an evil leprechaun he has to fight who went on to be in a lot of... He was the detective in Psych. Um, I also know him as the king from Gallivant. Any of these ring in any bells? <laughs> no, not even a little bit. I'm not... Like, I would love to tell you that these are ringing bells, but in fact, no. I'm... In my head, I'm... It's all elevator music and the idea of hunting ceramic leprechauns. From <laughs> Long and tan and young and lovely. <laughs> all right, that's it. I, when I started researching this, I thought that there would be an... A, a, an overwhelming amount of information on leprechauns and where they came from and interactions and stories and myths and tales. And there just isn't. No. Here's the thing. Any, like, lore that <laughs> Yates has touched is usually lore that Yates has defined and was like, this is ancient Irish exactly the way I'm describing it. And it's really yeah. just some British guy. And I'm saying that as someone who loves the Lanan Shi, but it's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was like, how am I going to get this done? How am I going to con like confine it into one episode? Because it's leprechauns. Everyone knows them. They're the most ubiquitous thing in the... 
No. It's like they were little green men. Maybe they came from here. Maybe they came from there. And now here they are. If a month ago you had looked me in the eye and said, Rowan, leprechauns? And lake monsters. I would have been like, absolutely not. (laughs) Those two things are separate. They have nothing to do with each other. There's no overlap at all. I just covered Kelpies, though. They live in the same region. It's not crazy to think about all these these folks just hanging out. Not at all. Not at all. It it makes sense that it's all interconnected. So that is leprechauns. Yay. Good job. Hey, do you want to tell me something good? I would love to tell you something good. Um, my something good is really about the castle weekend. Obviously, that's fresh on my mind, but I – Is it from the exhaustion or the delight portion? Delight. The whole weekend was a delight. I'm only now dealing with the exhaustion <laughs> because I made bad choices. But it was it was so fun. Uh, we – it was just really nice to be able to go away with friends. The photo shoot was like the most fun thing. It was like such a gift to me that my friends let me play dress up with them and take pictures of them at places. We played a lot of board games <sighs> and it, it was just like we uh, – so uh, two of my friends are vegan and they made an English breakfast, but it was like a vegan English breakfast <laughs> and it was so good. It was so delicious. That sounds yummy. Um. It was so good. Oh, my God. It was it was just so lovely. Like, it was just all of us hanging out and, like, doing our own thing. And um, we did get into an insane argument, which I will bring here so that everyone else can suffer with me. Because we – this lasted – Rowan, this lasted for, like, two hours. I'm not surprised. I don't know what it is, but I'm not surprised. No, knowing us. The question of – is stew a soup? Or? So the, the two sides of the argument are that soup is an overarching category that stew fits into. Yes. Whereas the, the other side of the argument is that soup is one thing and stew is its own thing. Soup is a rectangle and stew is a square. A square is a rectangle, but a rectangle is not a square. I disagree. If you say that you're giving me – why is it – We get so heated. I disagree. I think if you say you're going to give me some soup, if you look this up, it, it, it supports my side of this argument. The amount of liquid plays a large part of this. But if you hand me stew and say it's a soup, I'm going to be like, your soup doesn't have enough broth because it's a stew. It's not the same thing. Is it bad that I'll just be grateful that anyone's handing me any delicious food? No, that's a wonderful thing. But the whole weekend we kept like making jokes about stew and soup and I can imagine exactly who participated in this argument to what extent they participated in this argument. It's interesting the way people fell. Uh I, some people were ambivalent. Some people were like I'm not participating in this. This is stupid. Um it was really <laughs> It was, there was three of us on one side. It was really three of us on one side, three of us on the other. And then my sister was like, I don't want to be a part of this. This, this is ridiculous. I stand by what I said about squares and rectangles, but I would never. I would be on the side of the people who are not. I think I think the square rectangle thing is fine. I just think like I got really frustrated when one person kept being like, no, soup and stew are basically the same thing. Well, stew is also a verb. To stew. Yes. So... Anyway, listeners, write us in. Tell us your thoughts. You can have this 
insane debate with your friends and watch people spiral. Hey guys, remember that time Tracy wrote a story about the squonk and she featured soup heavily? Yeah, and I talked about the broth in it, didn't I? Our gal has always been like this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Rowan, it's your turn. Tell me something good. Okay, it's been a minute since it came out, but we have to talk about Florence and the Machine's new song, King. <gasps> so good. So good. I have played it entirely too many times. Mm-hmm. It's one of those songs, and this is how you know you have a great artist and you know you're the right kind of fan, because every time I listen to it, I'm like, oh, well, this is clearly written for me, which I imagine a thousand billion other people feel. Right, right. The way that it specifically captures what it is like to be a woman who is an artist. It, the video is incredible. Mm. The, the color choices alone, just the choice for her to be in all pink. And purple. And exceptional. Exceptional. Just that entire design, the boldness, the way that it's depicting women and their interactions with men and her power and her oh it's so good the golden crown of sorrow the grand self mythology mm -hmm. very lenan she vibes it's incredible such lenan she vibes so anyway if anybody needs me i'll be playing that song for the billionth time I need the – there's 15 songs that are going to be in this album. And, of course, she's releasing them individually because that's how music works thanks to Spotify now. Fine. Whatever. Mm -hmm. I need them now? Yes. Right now, please. Because I, I listen to Florence and the Machine albums, like, as an album. I feel mm -hmm. like she's a great artist for album listening. Agreed. And uh, <laughs> Kaylee and I went to uh, – a concert of hers after we'd both broken up with our boyfriends at the time. And it is one of the best experiences of my life. I can't even imagine how powerful that would make you feel. It was an outdoor concert. It was at the Hollywood Bowl. So, you know, there was the sky above and Florence and the Machine looks like a, like a seely fae. She, she is a, a fae. She's fae. She, she's an ancient being. Yeah, I love the way her speaking voice is just so musical and kind of soft, and then her singing voice is not that. Yeah. So anyway, my good thing is just getting to have spectacular art from an artist I love. <laughs> good things all around. And I have one more good thing, which is that I pulled a five-star review for us Ooh, to read. Ooh, it's been a minute. Thank you. Yeah, so take a look. Ooh, am I reading this? Yeah. Okay. This is from Jason A. Noden. Like hanging out with your two coolest friends who are both amazing writers. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> A friend recommended Willing and Fable to me, and at first I was skeptical. Mythology can be really dry. We've all watched those repetitive documentaries. But these two ladies knock it out of the park. Their research on each myth legend is thorough and approachable, but it's their stories that really got me hooked. I have no earthly clue how they come up with them each week. I'm glad there's a bunch of episodes to binge because I'm hooked. 10 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> We're both doing the squinchy face we did earlier. We're doing the, the thing we always talk about where it's like, hey, thank you so much for perceiving. Now, now please stop perceiving me so I can experience this. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to leave a compliment and then, and then walk away so that I can live in the compliment. 
<laughs> yeah, just come give us a compliment and then back away like Homer Simpson in that gif into the bushes. That's very kind. And thank you so much for the extra lovely words. And please know that anytime you leave a five-star review for us or any other person m- making things on the internet, it makes it easier for other people to find our podcast and and mm-hmm. folks' work and what they're selling. So for the things that you like, leave five-star reviews. It's super helpful. We really appreciate it. Um, and, you know, call us amazing writers. No big deal. It's fine. Yeah. I will say uh, thank you to- so much to everyone who sent me kind compliments after Rowan commanded them to do it in our Wizard and Rogue episode. You're being really mean to yourself. None of us are going to stand for that. I know. I always say to my friends where I'm like, uh, you're being mean to yourself, and I don't let anyone be mean to my friends, including them. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember that stories grow with the telling. So if you like what we do, tell a friend. Or tell a foe. And we'll see you soon, okay? Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our editor is Tyler Fetzik, our music is by Taylor Ash, and our logo is by Jamie Harrison. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes and custom merch, or find us at Willing and Fable on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. English professor and Irish culture expert Ninian Mellonfee told the Pepperdine University Graphic in 2003 that, quote, for the Irish, it's much more sorry, than Pepperdine? the leprechauns. Yeah, probably. Okay. No, well, I mean, I it like, is just, Pepperdine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I just go quickly through it, maybe no one will notice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. English professor... Fuck. Prof- Sorry, Tyler, I'm taking a moment to reflect on my life and how I got here to this point. <laughs> Yates. <laughs> Yates. <laughs> 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 <laughs>